This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Healthy Aging, providing you with the unique energy support of Pure NT Factor. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years with a 45-day money-back guarantee of nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800-982-9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. I think you'll find today's subject very scintillating because we're going to take a look at human evolution and biology. Today's guest is Dr. Alex Bezaridis. He's a PhD, a professor of biology at Lewis and Clark State College in Lewiston, Idaho. And after reading his book, which is entitled Evolution Gone Wrong, the curious reasons why our bodies go awry. Um, I, I wish that he had become my biology professor in college. I would have been more inspired. So uh, the idea behind the book is, you know, a lot of people think that um, when we evolved, uh, we existed in sort of a Garden of Eden state. Our bodies were perfect. Uh, and it was only modern civilization that has undermined our health. But actually, uh, there are some contradictions built into the process of evolution. And it may not be your fault that you've got flat feet or that you've got back pain or that you need reading glasses or that you had to have your wisdom teeth out because, well, uh, evolution is sort of a compromise between conflicting imperatives, as today's guest will discuss. It's a fascinating thesis. And so without further ado, here's Dr. Bezaridis. May I call you Alex? Absolutely. And thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's a, a wonderful read. And I, I didn't get the, t the complete title correct, the subtitle. I know it's Evolution Gone Wrong, The Curious Reasons Why Our Bodies... What? Why our bodies work or don't. <laughs> Why our bodies work or don't. Okay, good. Um, so, um, and, and you know, you weave into the discussion, you know, a whole lot of concepts about basic biology, and some of them are, are really mind-blowing. But uh, so, so help us out with this, this concept uh, that human evolution is not uh, perfect, uh, that we're there are built-in imperfections that are the result of kind of a compromise between doing one thing and doing another thing. And uh, we just don't, nature didn't quite get it right. Yeah, the, I do view it very much as a, as a compromise. Like any good marriage, you know, there has to be a compromise. And of course, there's a whole other book to be written about evolution gone right. And, and I think 
in large part that book has been written. A lot of people have, have written about all the ways the body's amazing and the, the incredible things that have happened that have led us to this point. I mean, we have free hands. It's what allows us to manipulate things in ways that no other animals can and, and our, with our incredible brains. We're just, you know, we're, the, we're so flexible in how we can meet our environmental needs. But I thought that it would be kind of more interesting to explore the the kind of the, the other side of the coin, the darker side of the coin, the, the things that had to happen in the body that make those incredible aspects of humanness possible. And so I sort of took the approach to look at the the places of compromise and, and where the body is a little more flawed. It was really an idea born of the classroom. The, the first notions of the idea of this book for me came in the teaching. I teach a lot of anatomy and physiology to, to pre-nursing students and to future doctors. And um, and we were in the digestive section of the class and talking. I had this picture of teeth up there and going through all the different kinds of teeth. And, and it's just this beautiful per- picture. That it's the first illustration in the book. I show this perfect textbook image of the mouth. And then I asked my students, I said, everybody raise your hand. And, and how many of you actually have this mouth? You know, how many didn't <laughs> right. have braces? And yeah, it's how many sort of the platonic ideal people? of what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And and when you get to the end of that discussion, there's about two kids with their hands in the air. And effectively, everybody has issues fitting their teeth in their mouth. There's this tooth jaw mismatch. And I, for the first time, I kind of thought, well, that's that's kind of wild. And I don't really know how to explain it. So I started to read about it. And it turns out it's a really, really interesting question with a fascinating, complicated answer that brings in all these aspects um, outside of biology. There's all this cultural thing, you know, pieces such as how we developed fire and tool use and, and cutting our food up and all these interesting concepts that I thought, boy, this is something I should write down because it's really, really interesting. Well, there's this, this concept that it, uh, modern life has brought on all these ills that we, that really we were designed perfectly. Uh, and yet it's right. the depredations of modern living, you know, soft food, uh, and or, you know, too much screen time that's ruining our eyes, you know, that, 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 that otherwise we would be fine. But according to your book, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, and I, and I think, like all things, the answer isn't totally on one end of the spectrum or the other, and the answer is somewhere in the middle. I see, us, I see our bodies as in certain places, our knees, our backs, our feet, our eyes, our teeth, as sort of set up for failure. And then how much they are going to fail um, depends on largely in part on how you treat them. Um, but certainly not all of the faults can be can be put on modern society. I, I, there is zero question in my mind that there would be plenty of people wandering around with back pain and with blurry vision, even you know, even independent of of some of our modern lifestyles and and, and being stuck looking at screens all day. Well, let's take the case of of the human brain. The human brain is a marvel because uh, uh, in your book you point out next to. Uh, uh, sea mammals, which have pretty big brains for the size of their body, it, it's an enormous brain compared to the brain of a gorilla or a monkey. It's it's gigantic, but and it's enabled us to do a lot of things. But it's also set us up for some problems. That's right, um, and probably the, the the first one that comes straight to mind there is just birthing that thing. And and human, the whole back third of the book is about human reproduction, the perils of reproduction, and how we struggle with reproduction almost to an unprecedented degree compared to other mammals. It's just, it's, it's difficult for many of us to conceive. It's difficult for many women, not all, but many women to, to carry a, a child through pregnancy. There's many different sort of aspects of pregnancy that are tough. And then, and then the last part of giving birth for many women, it's a very traumatic process. And that, 
that starts and ends with the giant human head. And so, yes, we have this this incredible feature that, that makes us human. But even from the word go, just getting out into life can be difficult because of it. And that 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 concept of birth is one I spend a lot of time on because there's been some really fascinating research in the last few years that has shown that even before the human brain swelled up in size, so it's it's about tripled in the last, say, two, three million years, the size of the brain has has tripled in that time. And but even before that happened, um, when human when our ancestors became bipedal, so when they transitioned from a life in the trees to a life on the ground, that that transition itself shifted the shape of the skeleton in ways that made birth more difficult, even even before the brains fold up and size. So you took an issue. With, so I, I think of the the idea of sort of doubling down a lot in this book, where you sort of had a problem or the potential for a problem, and then you doubled down on it. And that's what happened with birth. You had this issue because of bipedalism. Birth was a little more difficult. And then you went and tripled the size of the brain on top of that. And in this case, it's really a tripling down. You take those two features, and then you add modern nutrition and the ability to grow a a, a child inside you to a healthier, bigger degree than ever Mm -hmm. before. I mean, I think like my... My sister-in-law has two boys, both of whom were more than ten pounds at Whoa. birth, and both both difficult births. And it just all comes together to make birth this absolute you know, train wreck for for many many women. Of course, there are exceptions. There are some that just pop kids right out, and it's no big deal. But I think it, it, that's more the exception than the rule. I, your chapter heading is. Why do women literally have to risk their lives to bring a newborn into <laughs> yeah. the world? And that, that really kind of sums it up. I mean, because the infant mortality uh, and maternal mortality uh, was enormous until modern times. I mean, still have it. That's even, right. Until, you know, even that, given modern medicine. That's exactly right. Until you really bring antibiotics fully on board, that, that was the issue, right? Was that there was so much trauma and tearing at birth that – even if you could get the child out and get the mother through the process, she was so prone to infection because of all the, the bleeding and all the trauma that then the, the, uh, the mother would often die afterwards due to infection. So antibiotics have helped with that considerably, and but they're not available in all parts of the world. And of course, because of misuse in other fields, the, you know, their effectiveness can ebb and flow. So it's still it's still an issue for for women all around the world. Is it fair to interject a question that uh, keeps coming to my attention, which is, are humans still evolving? Because, you know, we think of natural selection operating in prehistory, you know, before medical interventions, and, you know, high tech right. uh, vaccinations and uh, incredible breakthrough miracle drugs. Uh, but what's happening is we're able to save a lot of people who might be passing genetic traits along, which are, are not really conducive to survival uh, or optimal uh, lives. So is natural selection still working on humans? Are we, are we going to change? Are we going to become different in future millennia? Right. It's a, it's a great question. And it's what I, I think about a lot too. Um, I, I think there's zero question that natural selection and evolution are still occurring to humans in humans. It's just, a matter of the the mechanisms and the the forces at play are very different these days. You know, you roll back far enough, and it was very important that your ankle didn't blow out, and that you you know you had a strong knees and these things that you needed to just forage and hunt. And without those, 
you probably wouldn't survive and reproduce. And, and so that pushed our bodies in certain directions. And, and now those, those features, I think, are obviously for most people far less important. And we can all, you know, manage to make our way to the grocery store wherever we need to get to, or to the phone to order food. So, so many of those physical pieces, I think, of our evolution, I think, have, the evolutionary process has slowed or even sort of gone in the other direction. Where that, that's even like devolution, right? It's going back. Yeah, almost devolution, exactly, for many of those physical aspects. But of course, there is still selection taking place. We certainly still select our mates, and, and, and how successful we are is dependent on many of our uh-huh. other types of characteristics. So I think many of the mental personality-driven kinds of things hmm. are, are pushing humans in new evolutionary directions. I almost view it as more of a of a mental evolution than a physical evolution that's occurring these days. Oh, okay. So the, the idea being is that we're getting like uh, hybrid humans, you know, like doctors are marrying uh, lawyers and we're getting uh, sure. you know, sort of a, a new super race of humans, at least in some segments of society. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting to think about the ways that we select mates now and how different it is than, than, you know, not, you don't have to go both back that far of course physical attractiveness and those things have always been important but the way that we provide for our mates which is a huge part of mate selection is just so different now than it was before and it selects for totally different traits but but don't you know don't mistake it there's absolutely still selection going on i just think it's not for many of the physical traits that i bring up in this book and for that reason I think we're probably, I've, I've got a lot, had a lot of people ask me like, okay, do you think, you know, if we live long enough, are we going to, if humans are around in, in 50,000, 100,000, a million years, are we still going to have back pain and knee pain and foot pain? And I, I think the answer to those questions is yes, because we're not using any of those traits for, for selection anymore. And while we can slap some pretty incredible band-aids on them these days, and those band-aids will only get better with, with modern you know, molecular medicine and the genetic revolution and, and genetic technology and CRISPR and things like that, we're, I think we're stuck with most of our aches and pains. It's just a matter of how well can we fix them. Well, so what predisposes us to these uh, aches and pains of modern life? Knee pain, foot pain, back pain, yeah, back, hernias. Back pain, and- back pain is a is a really interesting one. When so when human when when our ancestors became bipedal, in order to not, I think about that transition a lot and how difficult that transition must have been. And in order to not tip over, in order for the center of balance to to work out, the shape of the spine had to shift. It sort of went from this this version up in the trees that was more more rigid and didn't really have curves in it to a, a flexible kind of curvy version for for the first hominins. For sorry, first hominins is the word for the, the first animals that were down on the ground trying to walk around on two feet. And so there's a there are curves built into the back and there's one in sort of the lower lumbar region of the back that is necessary to shift the center of gravity over the hips and there's there's a higher up one in the cervical portion that that puts the head over the shoulders so that you're not straining your neck all the time and like the other the other great apes they they just can't do it because they their natural tendency because of the shape of their spines is to tip forward and it puts a ton of strain on their neck so they can pop up for a few seconds even wander around for just a little bit of time but they quickly fatigue and so we have all these sort of things built into our spine, but it takes a lot of muscle strength in your in your core, in your abdom- abdominal muscles, in your back muscles to to maintain that shape. And as soon as that core strength starts to to decrease a little bit, and for some people that happens as early as their late teens, twenties, 
other people that you know are lucky enough that it doesn't happen until their 30s, 40s, 50s. But effectively, it happens to everyone eventually that 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 core strength starts to weaken, and then those curves are not maintained. And as soon as that happens, discs start to ooze out of place, and you get them pressing on nerves, and pain ensues. And and ultimately, it's all about those curves in our back that are necessary for us to walk around on two feet. Just a thought here. Is it possible that we were not uh, naturally selected to live as long as we do now and that uh, you know some of these problems are the consequence of uh, living past our expiration date? Yeah, without question. Many of the issues in this book are exacerbated by age, but I, I tried to focus on issues that I knew could also affect young people. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I lead right away in the book with a chapter on teeth and a chapter on eyes, and, and so many young people have issues with their teeth fitting in their mouth or require vision correction. Um, and, and you meet more and more young people, especially, again, this sort of gets to the doubling down where we have tough ankles, you know, set up with difficulty with our ankles and knees where so many kids that are playing sports and right. whatnot, you know, especially end girls. up with these. Yeah. Yeah, and end up with these issues with their knees where they just go through many, many, many rounds of knee surgery just trying to get the knee to to be stable enough for them to do these sports where they're cutting and pivoting and shifting their weight and all these things. And and just a recog- this is where you sort of get into the idea of intelligent medicine is just the recognition of our propensity for these problems can change the way that we train athletes, for example, mm-hmm. and train young people to, to jump and cut and move because a lot of how you do that dictates your your likelihood of getting hurt. A little remediation, uh, you know, uh, earlier in life could forestall a lot of yeah, problems. Getting to, yeah, getting to getting to them when they're eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, and teaching them. All right, here's the way. You know, here's the proper way to jump and cut, rather than waiting until the first ACL blows out during their sophomore year of high school or whatever. Because once that happens, the instability sets in, and then you have cartilage issues, got issues with the other tendons that hold everything together, and it just becomes. Kind of, it all start. It all can start to snowball pretty quickly. And hernias are an interesting case because they sort of solve the problem of uh, uh, how to allow the testes, which are originally uh, in the right. abdomen, they they evolve in the abdomen, but they have to descend through a, a little passageway uh, into the scrotum. And they it also for optimal fertility, they should be at a little lower body temperature, so they're held a little away from the body, from what your your book states. Uh, but then, you know, that, that little defect in the abdominal wall creates a heck of a lot of problems, doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, it just leaves this weak spot. And, and something I, I came to learn was, I, you know, I always sort of viewed that only as, as an issue for the men because they're, you know, the, the tetis have to drop through there. But there's, you know, there is a, a canal that sort of closes up more in women, but, but, there's also, you know, there's, it's, it's a weak spot, but not as weak, which is why men are much more prone to those hernias. One of the most fascinating parts of reading that chapter for me was we just, you always sort of hear about this idea, well, the testes start internally, they drop during development, and it's because they, you know, that the sperm production works better in a cooler environment. And for me, this whole book is about asking the the, the why question, like that annoying little kid that always just mm-hmm. wants to know, like, well, why is that? And then as soon as I can answer that, well, why is that? And that was one for me that I sort of thought, yeah. well, why is that? Why do, I mean, plenty of animals yeah. have internal testes. Like yeah. if you just get yourself and stop thinking about mammals for a minute, it's it's absolutely the norm in other animals. And it, it's a vulnerable it part. It's like, why should it be yeah. you know, outside the body in a very, very <laughs> vulnerable position? It's, it's like a terrible place to have. Yeah, really, really as many men can attest. You know? <laughs> yeah, and, and effectively... 
we still there are, there are a bunch of ideas about you know that maybe it's for sperm activation when they go from sort of the cooler environment to the warmer environment in the um, in the female reproductive tract that they that they that sort of kicks them into gear and off they run. But there if there are some ideas about why they need to be cool, but I still have not heard a, a compelling answer with a lot <laughs> of evidence to suggest exactly why they need to be cool. We just know that they need to be outside the body and stay cool. Uh, is it fair to say that obesity and diabetes are a form of evolution gone awry? Because from what I understand, there's what's termed a thrifty gene. There's some genetic yeah. advantage to the ability to uh, keep your blood sugar high. And uh, even in pregnancy, you know, gestational diabetes. Yeah, you want a lot of blood sugar available for the baby. But when it goes over the board, um, you're in trouble. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We have these we've had these historical evolutionary cravings for resources and nutrients that were typically quite scarce. And so when you had the ability to load up on salt or load up on sugar or load up on high calorie things, you took advantage of it. And because it might not come around again for a month or two or three. And, and that is still very much hardwired into the system. And this is a place where you get a mismatch between our history and our current environment, where now those those opportunities are often available around every corner. And sometimes the, the ones that are most high calorie and most laden with sugar and most laden with salt are also the most inexpensive opportunities for food out there. And it just puts us in this position where we're very much set up to have to you know, have an inhuman degree of willpower to to avoid those things, and that naturally spirals into conditions like in effect to impose uh, starvation and famine on ourselves, which was part of our biological heritage. We're no yeah. longer on the Serengeti plane, so uh, right. you know, it's quite That's a change. Right. All right, good point at which to pause because uh, we have more uh, to talk about, more examples of evolution gone wrong. Uh, the Curious Reasons Why Our Bodies Work or Don't Work. That's the title of the book. It's a fascinating book by today's guest, Dr. Alex Bezaridis. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, You're doing great. <laughs> thank you. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.